Please open your Bibles to Psalm 86. I'll be reading that tonight, uh, but piece by piece in the three sections as we uh, as we work our way through it. Um, take, uh, we'll we'll um, be looking at that uh, in just a moment. Um, you would be wise um, to listen to righteous sufferers. The ones who are identified as the godly ones in verse 2. The godly ones, though they are not perfect, they are ones who are steadfastly focused upon our steadfast God. I'm going to take the liberty this evening to share a couple of thoughts that uh, uh, Chad had shared with me uh, by writing, just to, um, to underscore this and to illustrate the main point of Psalm 86, that it is in our suffering, uh, it is in our trouble, uh, that the Lord uh, comes to us, answering our prayers. Um, These words, Chad writes from Psalm 34, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. It is the brokenhearted uh, whom the Lord comes to and saves. And so he writes at the end of that note, We know that God withholds no good thing from his children. Noel is his daughter. And we get to enjoy her here. He is caring for her and will continue this good and saving work that he's begun in her physically and spiritually. Trouble, properly used, causes us to focus our attention upon God and his character, his promises. Uh, My point this evening then Um, is that you would pursue an undivided heart at all costs so that you praise God even in your troubles. Pursue an undivided heart at all costs so that you praise God even in your trouble. Uh, Verses 1 through 7, Psalm 86 Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you answer me. God shows us in this section that in your trouble, God wants to help. In your trouble, God wants to help. He hears your prayers when you are most needy. God inclines his heart to you, especially in your weakness, especially in your desperation. Well, this 
is, if I may put it, uh, some, uh, this is the pizza of all psalms. What I, what I mean by that, uh, all, pizza has all of the necessary food groups. It is the perfect food. It, you've got your protein in the sausage and pepperoni. You've got your dairy, your veggies, your carb. It's perfect. And so this compact psalm has all of the components, all of the parts for our prayers as we offer our hearts up to God. There is supplication. Take your needs to God. He wants to hear. Verse 1. There is a lament that, that He gives words to us when we're in our trouble, when so often our tongues are frozen in our mouths. And there is confession in our trouble. It is so often that, um, and in that despair, that our hearts show that fault line, that fissure. They show themselves to be divided and we, we, uh, we may doubt God and His promises. And then there finally is the thanksgiving. That is the practice of discipline. Discipline of seeing God's goodness even when the troubles don't lift. We'll get to the end of the psalm and we'll see that the psalmist is still opposed by those who are against him. The psalm ends unresolved, but the psalmist is thanking him. So I want you this evening to be thinking about your trouble. David, for his part, was scared that wicked men who were disrespecting him as king were coming against him and threatening his life. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. He was afraid, literally afraid for his life. You and I may be fearful as well. There may be people who come against us. There may be circumstances that seem cruel and unyielding. And so we too cry out nonstop to God because of the unrelenting assault that comes against our souls. We may be fearful. We may also be sad and our soul downcast. Without... What is sadness? It, it, it is that, that sense of, of, of doom, that, that things will not get better. That may be troubles at home, it may be a conflict, it may be your finances, and there can be a sense of despair because, uh, because of, of, those, of those circumstances. So what is your trouble? Consider your trouble today and then look with me at at verses 4 and 5. The psalmist says, Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Uh, It is not necessarily that the problem is resolved, but he is confident that God hears him. He has God's. He knows that the, God, the Lord is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to those who call upon Him. In fact, this is really the theme that I want you to settle on as we work our way through this psalm. God's steadfast love. Verses, verse, verse 13 and verse 15 will say the same thing. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul. Verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Crying out to God, the one thing that I can count on in this life is your steadfast love.
I'm counting on that. We have a prayer answering God. And in, in our trouble, we have no greater need than to know that He hears and He answers. Verse 7, in the day of trouble, I call upon you for you, for you hear me. Well, I want to unpack this a little bit, this idea of God's steadfast love, even in our trouble, even in our despair and our weakness. Because so often in our troubles, we distort God's grace. Our hearts are, are divided and we have unfaithful thoughts that seem, in our way of thinking, to weaken or diminish God's favor for us right right there in that moment. These are some thoughts I'm sharing from Dane Ortland to help us to get a grip on that steadfast love of God. Here is what Dane says, but our weakness, instead of causing it, our weakness, despair, and even our sin, instead of causing God's steadfast love to diminish or to wane, this is what he says, but our weakness causes God's grace to surge. Our need causes God's grace to surge. The Puritans went so far as to say, when we sin, the very heart of God is drawn to us, not away from us. We feel in those moments, especially when our hearts are divided and when we are are feeling overwhelmed by circumstances and we begin to doubt God, we think that our doubting must drive Him away, that He must recoil from us. The purer He is, the more horrified He is at our evil. That's our way of thinking. But all the more in that moment, He is drawn to us to help. He is drawn to us to relieve our suffering. He is drawn to us to resolve our guilt. He is drawn to us to give comfort to our weary souls. We understand appropriately that God's wrath comes down against those who are outside of Christ. That our that the sins of the ungodly do evoke God's wrath. That is correct. But you belong to Christ if your trust is in Him. And so your sins stir His deepest compassion. He is on your side. Dane puts it this way again. He sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. You remember what Romans 7 says about this. Romans 7 describes sin in one place as as almost like an alien invader. It's not really us. It is the sin that that uh, that uh, has uh, broken God's commands. He puts it this way. Paul puts it this way. Uh, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So we can see that, that, that sin is almost like that alien invader that our Father wants to relieve us from, not punish us for. I, w- I want you to think about a mom or a dad uh, whose child is suffering some, from some amazing, some difficult, challenging disease. Disease. 
that disease has attacked the child. And, and this parent's heart is drawn to the child and is for the child even more so in his affliction. Can you also think that way then about even when you become ensnared in sin that, that because of your divided heart, you must not think that God is against you, that God is opposed to you, but all the more He is for you to come to your rescue. He is all the more drawing your heart in humility and repentance. And so that's why in the second section, verses 8 to 13, ask God, ask, uh, ask Him for uh, uh, an undivided heart. Ask Him for an undivided heart. Uh, verses, eight, verses 8 and following. There is none like You among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like Yours. All the nations You have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. This section of the psalm opens up with a display of God's power and his beauty in verses 8 through 10. We see his goodness. We see that the nations themselves will be drawn. They are, are coming up. Coming to Him, the greatness of His saving works are overwhelming. And when we consider the turmoil in our world today, these phrases lift our heart and, and cause us to glorify God. And we see His power and beauty. So all the more, seeing God's power and beauty intensifies our plea for a united heart in the language of the ESV. A united heart. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. I spent some time this past week with a 90-year-old woman who, um, who, in the course of the conversation, she was sharing some of her experiences, um, uh, uh, someone from Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, come, comes by regularly, in fact, calls her uh, most mornings. And uh, she was concerned about uh, some things her family members had been, told, had been telling her. And as I shared with things, this is her response. I want to walk in truth. I don't want to go off the path. I want to walk in truth, even after these 90 years. I don't want to go off the path. And so we say to God, unite our hearts. We don't want to go off the path either. Now I want you to be thinking for a moment that about what divides your heart in your trouble. What divides your heart when you face your trouble? I, I think perhaps for me and perhaps for most of us, the problem is can, can often be anxiety. Uh, fears. Fears for what might happen crowd out the godly fear of God Himself. Those fears crowd out our joy 
in our God. And we listen to our own hearts rather than listening to the Lord himself. Our hearts become, as, as Welch, uh, Ed Welch says, a, a false prophet who delivers bad news and yet you trust him still. You listen to him still. And those, those uh, false prophetic voices drown out the voice of God, which again fuels our anxieties. We demand to be in control because we think that God is not wise. We demand our comfort because for us God is not sufficient. And so our heart becomes divided. I want to take us back to Hosea for a moment, as Dane was pointing out earlier. And it is my belief, it is my contention, that it is seeing God's undivided heart towards us, even in our weakness, even in our suffering, even in our trouble, and even in our sin, that it is seeing God's undivided heart for us, that strengthens and unites our heart for him. Listen to Hosea. My people are bent on turning away from me. Yet, listen to this, my compassion grows warm and tender. I will not destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will, against our expectations, He says, I will not come in wrath. Even in the face of his people turning away, his commitment was for them. His heart was warmed. So in your sin, God's heart goes out to you in compassion. In your divided heart, you find yourself wanting God, but wanting other things more or or also. And we wonder... Could God still be for me? But he says, this is God's argument, precisely because he is holy. Precisely because he is holy, 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 and not like us. That he is unable to come down on us in his wrath. Your sins awaken his compassion. Your sins stir up his warmth and his pity. Nothing unites your heart better than knowing God's heart is united in sympathy towards you. The daring phrase then, again from Dane, it is not our loveliness that wins his love. It is our unloveliness. Let that sink in. Let the goodness of God, the compassion of God, the sympathy of God wear down your divided heart and capture it for His glory, setting your sight on His united heart for you. And so this psalm ends gloriously, still praising God in, his, in, in your trouble. Listen, verse 14 and following. O God, insolent men have risen against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life. They do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a gracious, merciful, and, and merciful God. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Turn to me and be gracious to me. Second time that word gracious shows up. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Face the evil of this day with God's grace. Pray for, as this psalmist says, pray for grace and pray for strength. Now, now what does that mean? To pray for grace and pray for strength. We have to be reminded, I think, that grace is not a substance. It is not a liquid. It is not a thing. But grace is a person. I think that Roman Catholic thinking seeps into our minds as well. Not that we would say uh, that this, the merits of the saints uh, fill up some reservoir uh, that, uh, that the church then dispenses to us through its sacraments as we come with our cup waiting to be filled. We would not say that. But we are still sometimes overly impressed with our own obedience and overly disturbed by what we feel our disobedience must do to incline God's heart away from us. What gives us sanity during our trouble, what gives us glory in the midst of, of even our response to disobedience to the Lord is seeing the person of Jesus. Grace is a person. And you have Him. You have His undivided heart. And in your sin, and in your weakness, His heart is drawn to you. And if He is that much for you, if He is that much for you, there is nothing that can prevail against you. Let's pray together. Father and Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we come to you um, amazed at your inclination, the bent of your heart towards us. There are times that when everything inside of us cry out that you cannot be so well pleased. You cannot be so merciful. We see our own failures or we cover them up. And we lose sight of the face of Jesus, the glory of God revealed in his face through the power of the gospel. Father, again, I pray that for each of us in the trouble that we face, would be certain of one thing, that we would fight for one thing, a united heart, an undivided heart, to know that you are for us and that you are with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not forget you. Let us not turn from you. We pray these things in the precious and glorious name of Jesus, who is always and ever all, of the, all that we need. In his name we pray. Amen.